Good morning, Christ City. It is my joy to welcome you to this Advent season, and our text for the beginning of Advent is found in Isaiah chapter 9, 1-7, through 7, and John 1, 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. John 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Christ City, let's pray. God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Enable us to respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we all have a sense, don't we? An expectation that something magical should happen at Christmas. Culturally, we have this disembodied hope, echoes of what we call the Christmas spirit. A feeling that in this season, somehow, the things that are broken will be fixed. The things that are separated and estranged will be brought back together. And we see this longing, don't we? We see this in our Christmas carols. We see this in our TV shows we watch. And we see these even in our cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. And even, we see this in the best Christmas movie ever, Die Hard. This is why in 2020, 10 months into a global pandemic, we all have our lights up, don't we? We all have the music playing. Even me, the Grinch, the biggest Grinch that there is, even me, I am tempted this year by this lure of this faux holiday cheer. We're longing for a hope that things might be made right. We want our twinkle lights on our tree to be a beacon of hope to all of those around us, to, to displace the gloom and the darkness in this season. We are hoping for holiday cheers and festivities to fix our current cultural malaise. Of all the stories of the power of Christmas, probably my favorite and the most powerful occurred Christmas 1914 in the trenches on the Western Front during World War I. As the story goes, it was a cold Christmas Eve. Five months into a bitter war, the Germans on their side of the trench, they started singing Christmas carols. And as they began to sing, they began to call out across no man's land and wish their English enemies Merry Christmas. The English responded in kind, and on Christmas morning, an informal localized armistice was called. Men from both sides of the front converged into no man's land. 100,000 of them, it is estimated. And they exchanged handshakes. 
gifts of tobacco and cigarettes. Informal barbershops were set up, and they even engaged in soccer games. It was almost a naive optimism, a sense that the spirit of this holiday season could eclipse and bring an end to a war, a hope that peace could be realized. For even the briefest of moments, there was a hope that light could shine in the darkness, even in the darkest of places on the Western Front during World War I. Unfortunately, this hope was fleeting. And the next day and for the next four years, darkness reigned and war occurred. All people, all people everywhere in the face of darkness have always been confronted with this dilemma. Where is my hope? Where is my hope? From the trenches of World War I to our current pandemic, this dilemma finds us all. This is precisely where we find ourselves in this text. Um, Isaiah here is speaking to uh, a, a people who are in the, in the throngs of war. The Assyrian Empire has converged and have actually obliterated the northern kingdom. The year is roughly 730-700 BC, and the people were living with fear of invasion. They were locked down in what seemed like an imminent siege. They felt as they were on the verge of destruction. And they were wondering, when will this end? What will save us? Where do we put our hope? To feel the full weight of this, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22. The verse very right before what I just spoke. 8.22 in Isaiah. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This verse not only describes the ancient Israelites, it doesn't describe just their mental state and their condition, but it also describes the men in the trenches in 1914. And quite honestly, this could be a 2020 theme verse. I read an article this week. It was entitled, Europe Bets on a COVID-19 Christmas Miracle as Third Wave Looms. You see, the whole premise of the article was the, the hope, the Christmas miracle was a vaccine that would actually obliterate the virus and that normality would be restored. See, we, just like our friends, the people of history, throughout all of history, find ourselves plunged into darkness of various circumstances. Here, right now, we are looking for hope. We're longing for some sort of hallmark Christmas miracle. An Old Testament theologian describes the tension that we feel in this text in this way. He says, As always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Are they to look at the darkness the hopelessness, the dreams shattered and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to remember his present promises and to make great affirmations of faith? Isaiah insists here that hope is a present reality, part of the constitution of now. The darkness is true, yes, but it is not the whole truth and it is certainly not the fundamental truth. Now, whether you call yourself part of this people of God, I want to proclaim to you this morning. I want to acknowledge, I want to remind you that our hope is not in Bing Crosby Christmas carols. It's not in spiked eggnog. It is not in twinkle lights. And it is not in the temporary truce of, of hostilities of political ideology or racial injustice. It's not even a vaccine. And, and I must admit, it's not even having family home at Christmas. Let me repeat that. Our present hope in this dark time is not carols. It's not holiday cheer. It's not twinkle lights. 
It's not a vaccine. It's not hostilities ended or family. Our hope, our hope is in a God who brings light into darkness. Our hope is in a God who promises that this present darkness will not last. Our hope is in a God through the mouth of Isaiah. He says, here am I. Here am I. I'm the hope you're longing for. Place your hope in me. You see, these words were true for those living in darkness during the Assyrian invasion and siege. And this is also true for us in our present day. Our outline this morning then is threefold. The hope that God promises, the hope that his people will enjoy, and the hope that will be realized and accomplished. So what then is this hope that God promises to his people? Now, in order to grasp just how amazing this is, we need to understand and enter this prophetic poem and understand that it's divided essentially into two halves. The first half, verses 1 through 3, could be you know, articulated as hope described by God. Verses 4 through 7 explain how this hope will be realized and accomplished. So with this in mind, let us look at, look at this hope that God promises to his people in this text. Let's look at verse 1 and verse 4. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he has brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. God sees these, this Israelite suffering. He sees their present suffering. He sees them occupied. He sees the Assyrians, and he promises that to this people that he will restore their fortunes, that this gloom, that this present darkness, this imminent threat will actually be removed. We talked about a great reversal in Lamentations. You know, the, the once great fell. Here we have the opposite. What was once treated with contempt, broken, in distress, God actually changes. He makes new. He changes this darkness. He changes this darkness into a glorious hope. To treat with honor what was once treated with contempt. To free what was once oppressed and slaved. God reminds his people that he sees their sufferings. He sees their oppression. And, he's, and he sees their shame. And he promises, he promises to make the defiled glorious. He says to this group of people, put your trust in me. I have done this before, I will do it again. This text here, we've got some linguistic overtones that God uses to remind the Israelites of two significant events in their history. The first one is the Exodus. God, he forms a group of people who are slaves and he makes them his own. The second we find in Judges chapter six to eight and that is where God uses a weak man named Gideon and he frees his people from the oppression of the Midianites. In verses one and four here, God sees Israel's condition. He says, he sees their gloom and he says, put your hope in me. I am the source of your hope. I am the source of your hope. I have saved you before. I will save you again. People of Christ City, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Do we actually think and dare to hope that God sees our present darkness and he is not silent? That he is not far away? In our hope, in this reality, does, does, do we believe that God sees our anxiety, our distress, our oppression, and our depression, and he acts? Do we know that he sees us at our mental breaking point, and he says, look at me, place your trust in me, I will make you whole again. Our hope, just like the Israelites, is in the promise of restoration. The promises in this text 
for the people of God still stand for us today. Place your hope in him. He has done it before. He will do it again. God sees our condition here in a global pandemic. He sees our gloom. He, he sees our destruction, and he promises that it will not always be so. If you remember nothing else today, remember this, that God and his steadfast word is the source of our hope. Author Jonathan T. Pennington, he says this, This Christian hope is more than baptized optimism. It's not just the natural inclination of certain personality types. Hope is a virtue to be cultivated. Hope is a virtue of the will that can teach us to embrace both hardships and joy because it is more than a mere emotion. Even in the midst of the darkest trials, Christians can still have hope. Mysteriously, it is in the darkest of times that hope shines the brightest. This was the experience of the ancient prophets, the apostles, and the innumerable believers down through history. You see, Christ City, I am confident that today this will be our experience as well. That brings us to point two. If this is true, if we dare to hope in God, what then? If it's not baptized optimism, what are the benefits to the people of God? Look at verses two and five with me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them was light shone. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 2 announces to us that our situation has changed. What was once a reality of walking and living in darkness has now been expelled, vanquished by the light. What was once the vestiges of violence and bondage and hostility has been consumed, fodder for the fire. It will be no more. This is the benefit of those who hope. I will state this plainly. We, as a church and as a culture, we're used to good times, aren't we? In fact, many of us have only had good times. And it's hard to understand and to trust, and yes, dare I say, hope. It is hard for us to hope. <laughs> Let alone understand just how life-giving these words are because we have relied upon ourselves to solve our own problems, to illuminate the darkness around us, so to speak. That is, until 19, or that is until 2020. In 2020, many of us have been forced to acknowledge that, that we have been thrust into darkness, that we are living in a gloom and shadows. Christ said, here afresh the words of verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, upon them the light shone. The benefit of hope is that God announces for us, despite our current pandemic realities, that our present situation has changed and it's not the whole truth. It's different because we have hope in a God who brings light, who has brought us light. I'll be honest, I never really could understand this reality hope light thing. That was until I moved to the Lower Mainland. You see, I grew up in Alberta and though, even though it was minus 40, the light still shone. Even though the winters were long and, and mostly dark, when the sun did come up, it shone brightly and I was alive. And then I moved here. And I realized that I turned into a bear. I began to notice this pattern. Summertime, I felt like I could conquer the world, and in the wintertime, I hibernated in fear, depression, and gloom. Every year I noticed this, year after year after year. That was until a friend told me about a satellite, 
a seasonal affective disorder light, a 10,000 lumen little light that you spend 20 minutes in front of during the day, and it gives you all the things that the sun gives you. And my life changed. The people who walked in darkness have seen a light. Yeah, it's a stupid example. As my body and my mind longed for summer, I needed a physical light, something outside of myself to change my situation. This, this, this is the effect that hope has in our lives. It sustains us in the darkest of times. The effects of hope in our lives are quite literally like a sad light for our souls. Hope is transformative. It's life-giving. It gives you something, it gives you something to cling on to until summer comes. Even secular professionals understand this to be true, as Jonathan Pennington comments. One sub-branch of positive psychology is called hope therapy. Hope, according to psychologist C. Richard Snyder, consists of two main components. The ability to plan pathways to our desired goals and the motivation and ability to use these pathways. Therapists have found that people without this kind of hope rarely get better or learn to find balanced lives worth living. Humans can't survive without some kind of hope. Hope leads to a flourishing life. Even though we may not see it right now, this is the benefit of hope in our lives. Before we move to our third point, Christ City, I must pause and ask you, do we have this hope? Do you have this hope? That brings us to point three. Hope realized and accomplished. Turn with me to verses 3, 6, and 7. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, as they who are glad when they divide the spoil. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Through Isaiah, God declares through his zeal that he will give us a flourishing joy, a hope in the time of distress, a child given, a child, a baby the very presence of God who shall be king. A son willingly given for justice, righteousness, and so that peace can last forever. This was the resolute hope of ancient Israel. In their time of, they, in, uh, in their time of distress, rather, they looked back to what God has done and they looked forward to the birth of this child, the promised one, the Messiah, a son given a king on the throne, prince of peace. Our hope in our time, we also look back in our distress, but we look back to the birth of this child, this promised one, this same Messiah, this son given, this king on the throne. We look back to, to the son of David, Jesus Christ, prince of peace, the light of the world. Turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. You have to really see this and appreciate this. Now when he heard, Jesus, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. John, John in his gospel describes the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus in this way in John 1, 9. True light, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. People of Christ City, Jesus is our beacon of light, our resolute hope in a time of darkness. We don't look forward to a child, but rather we look back to a baby in a manger. And we realize that this is the Christmas miracle that we are longing for. Let me reread the quote I read earlier and place Jesus in this scenario. As always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Are they to look into the darkness of the hopelessness, the dream shattered, and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to remember his present promises, and to make great affirmations of faith? Isaiah insists here that hope is a present reality. Part of the constitution of now. The darkness is true, yes, but it is not the whole truth and certainly not the final and fundamental truth. So where is our hope, Christ City? What reading of our experiences in this city during 2020 shall we live by? Are we to hope in a vaccine? Are we to hope in festive cheer? Are we to hope that that can displace the darkness? No, we are to look to Jesus, our resolute hope, the true light which comes into the world, the light that saves humanity. In our darkest hour, Jesus is that light. He has come, and on the cross, he died so that all of us living in the shadow of death might be healed. His advent, his birth, his birth displaces the gloom and the depression, and then isn't that we place our hope? How do we respond then? How do we navigate this season? What do we do? Some of us are alone. Some of us are single. Some of us will spend Christmas by ourselves. What reading of our experiences are we to live by here, Christmas time 2020? Where is my hope? You see, this is the question that has haunted me, that has consumed me in these past months. Where is Heath's hope? Turn with me to Psalm chapter 130. I have been lingering in this text for weeks now. It's like a stone in my shoe that I just can't get rid of. It is, it is a text that has given me great hope. So I read it for you today. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. My hope, Christ City, is in the word of the Lord. My hope is grounded in a God who has spoken into history, who loves his people, who sees our darkness and sends forth his very son into the world. A light that redeems not only Israel, but all of us from our iniquities. In 2020, my feeble cry of hope 
rises together, rises together with the countless of Christians who have suffered and died throughout all the centuries, who have waited upon the Lord as a watchman waits for the morning looking to Jesus. So Christ City, will you risk with me? Will you risk with me and raise your voice with mine? Will you cry out for mercy to the God who sent Jesus into this world? The light to the nations. Will you join with me in hope and wait upon the Lord in the season more than the watchman waits for the morning? Let's pray. God, we come to you confessing that we find our hope is fleeting and non-existent. So Lord, I ask that you would remind us that you would show us, that you would illuminate the darkness and that we could see by your light what you have done in history, what you are doing now. And Lord, remind us that you will one again, once again come again and restore everything that is broken. So Lord, we, we put our hope resolutely in you. And Lord, help us to wait as Watchman waits for the morning. In your name I pray.